number. And, and one of the things that, that has been my reality over the last number of weeks, even this last week, is just kind of a, you know, a wait. You know, it was a week ago tonight when the firestorm came through um, areas of Santa Rosa and, um, and, and took lives and property. And um, it was the week before that there was the shooting in Vegas. And it was the week before that that Maria destroyed Puerto Rico. Anybody else feeling just some weight in terms of what the world is going on in the world? See, I know your discovery, but I'm Jeff, and so I need actually you to, does anybody else feel a weight? Everybody else is just super spiritual. It's like, no, I just gave it all to Jesus. You know, and I'm, oh, I'm just doing all right. No, it's, it's, there's some weighty things out there, and I just thought it would be appropriate for us, you know, part of our life together as the people of God is to make uh, prayer and petition and supplication together, right, when these kinds of things happen, and to take action as well to say, what are we going to do to touch the lives uh, of people who face these traumas and tragedies, not just um, over the hill in Napa or, you know, out in the ocean in, in Puerto Rico, but right here in terms of our neighbors and our streets. And, um, and one of the ways that we do that is we just we call upon the name of the Lord. That's just what identifies God's people is the people who call on the name of the Lord. Amen? And people who call, you're the people who call on the name of the Lord because you believe in a living God. You believe in a God who's engaged with the world, who cares and who is at work in mighty ways. So, so I just want us to pray together. I'm going to lead a prayer. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a time of silence where you can pray your own prayer. Just, you know, if you came with someone, just lean into them and just maybe pray out loud together uh, for any of those burdens that you've carried in today, because we really want to be released to hear the word of the Lord today for our life. And, uh, and we just need to, to share these burdens that we have with the Lord. Um, it's also a time I want to encourage you as just we move into being a healthy church. Part of our entry into the church, you know, at 10 o'clock or 10.10 or 10.15, whenever you walk in, you know, but part of our time coming in together is to acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the, the working of his Holy Spirit, is present right here in this auditorium. And, and as part of that, just to pause and to say, God, you know, what's happened between the last Lord's Day and this Lord's Day in my own life? Is there anything by which I need to get right with you? We, we traditionally end with communion as part of our, we have a weekly practice of sharing in the Lord's table together. But even as you come in just to say, Lord, even as we learned last week, I surrender. I surrender to you. Examine my heart, my mind. Where do I need to come into alignment with you? Bring me into alignment today to enter this week. Everybody with me? So prayer is, 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 is central to the life of the church. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we are a praying people. We're a people that believe, God, that we hear from you when we listen so that we can speak your words into um, others' lives and into our world. We believe, God, that we can pour out and be, be just super real with you about whatever we're facing, whatever um, we're, we're challenged with in our, in our own personal life, or in our family, in our church, in our world. And uh, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you are engaged in at work in the world. You're not distant. You're not an idea. You're not a philosophy. You're, you are a personal, engaged God. Father, through Jesus, pour out your spirit 
Make yourself real here to each person, each woman, each man, as we've gathered in your name, Jesus. And we want to, to stop and we want to say, God of mercy, have mercy. Be engaged, Lord, with the families who've lost so much, who've lost loved ones, who have friends or family in, in burn wards um, throughout the Bay Area or even here at UC Davis Medical Center in, in Sacramento. God, that are, are recovering from trauma, from unexpected and sudden loss. Lord, we're in this, this insane time of news hitting us all the time, so we, we don't even re re recall it two weeks ago, this terrible shooting took place, and the, the, the ongoing impact in people's lives. We're burdened about that, God. We're burdened for those people and those families and those, the, the first responders and, and the trauma that they're carrying and that they have to work through now. Uh, God, the, the people of Puerto Rico who still don't have clean water or power. God, um, other things that are happening around the globe that we're, we're, we're not even aware of. Uh, but we may personally be aware of, of, of those. God, because you've created every person, we confess before you, every person is infinitely valuable in your sight. and You've created them to live in a relationship with you. And we pray, God, even in hardship, that you would draw them close to you that you would bring those who truly know you alongside them to show them love and compassion and care and concern and, um, and God, to, to make yourself real in this time. Do it through practical need meeting. Do it through miracles, unexplained occurrences, God, interventions that... that that are supernatural, we pray, God, that you would do it through hugs, you would do it through words, you would do it through presence. Do your work in the lives of those who've been, been traumatized in this process. We're in a broken world, God, we need more gospel. And uh, so we pray, God, that for that. And just now, if you would pray personally, if you want to lean in and pray with someone, just we're taking a moment to pray this morning to you, Lord to pour out our hearts to you, and then I'll close in prayer in just a minute. Remember how for your, your first followers, um, one of them had the courage to say to you, Lord, teach us to pray. Let that be our, our prayer to you, Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen.
Awesome. Well, thanks for, for rolling with that. Uh, welcome to Discovery Church. If you're brand new, we're going through this series on healthy people, healthy families, healthy church. And today we're talking about loving relationships. Uh, we, we have a survey that's still available using the app, and we're trying to push up to 100 responses. We've made great progress. We, we're, we're more than halfway there. But if you haven't done that uh, on the app, we'd love for you to give your input as well. Uh, very interestingly, um, um, the principles, uh, and I explained this a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, holistic small groups or, or small groups that, that are knitting together the life of the church and being, being family in the community. I talked about the research history behind this over the last uh, 35 years or so, and this is a book, uh, Natural Church Development, which has that information in it. And as I was reading that, the um, piece on loving relationships, very interestingly, as these thousand churches from around the globe were, were examined and talking about these health characteristics and people being able to give their kind of subjective uh, response to some practical questions, like in our church, do, do, is love and affection consistently shown to one another in the life of the church? This is the one characteristic where churches consistently overestimated themselves. Um, and I think it's because we like to think of ourselves as, as really uh, loving and caring people. And in churches, there are so many loving and caring people. But oftentimes when you, you participate in church, and maybe you uh, grew up as a Christian, you moved to Davis, you'd been involved in other churches, you know how within the life of the church, sometimes some people get to know each other, and then they, that becomes kind of exclusive. That's who they, they associate with or who they spend time with or whatever. And it's almost whether you call it silos or cliques or whatever, there's not a lot of mixing and mashing and, and just like, oh, I haven't met him yet or I haven't met her yet and just moving toward each other. So we, they get overestimated a little. Well, every time I look at this health characteristic on loving relationships, I have to do a confession and you'll see it up on the screen. Here it is. I confess I have a love problem. Now, you might, be, you might be like me, but, but I grew up in a super competitive household. My mom and dad had three sons. I was the middle son. My older brother was 15 months older than me, and we grew up com competing with each other pretty intensely. And in that competitive environment and process, in a church-going family, I learned the, 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 a really key thing, which is, as I care about me, I love me. I care about me, and I'm going to make choices that are good for me. Now, even as I was exposed to the teachings of Jesus, even responding to the teachings of Jesus, I had a challenge with that. Now, joyfully, I'm surrounded by people who genuinely care about me, which is my nuclear family, my family of origin, we call it in psychology, right? And so, so senior year, when I was super self-consumed, and I was the star basketball player, and I was getting through classes, and I was... Uh, working a job and all this stuff, and all it was was how they could serve me. Boom, pause, intervention. Because when you have a, a problem, if you have loving relationships around you, they love you enough to, to say time out and call you out on stuff. That's love. Did I like it? No. Did it help me? Yes. I just will remember my dad and my mom and my younger brother who was still in the house having a little meeting with me and just saying, it can't go on this way anymore. We're not at your beck and call and service. We're a family and redefining love again. And so I worked on that and I worked on that. And, um, and then I got married. And I love my wife, Heather. I really do. 
But there have been some times in our marriage where she's had to say, hey, time out, time out. <laughs> it can't go on this way. What does love actually look like? I was reading a journal from a time where I was in training to go into ministry. I was involved in a seminary and in a local church. And they, they did this evaluation of, of my, my ministry and my work. And they were really commending me about my, my work with the, the youth that I was working with. And they were commending me about building my team and loving into my team. But these elders and pastors who called me in, they said, but Jeff, we have one issue with you. And I said, well, what's that? We don't know if you love us. And I thought to myself, why would an elder... IGR. Where's Justin sitting? I got to call him out too. They're right there. He didn't want to get called out. Why would an elder need to hear from me? I'm just this, you know, 24-year-old, you know, part-time worker in the church helping with youth. Why would they need to hear from me that they, that I love them? Or why would the senior pastor need to know I love them? They're all that. They're mature. They're complete. They're amazing in Jesus. They don't need to hear that from me, but they did. And I had a blind spot there. Wow, even people who are, who are ahead of me in life, who are more mature than me, who are older than me, need to know and need to experience love in and through me. And it put me down this path of being able to say, I have to learn to be a good lover. I have to learn to be a lover of people, no matter who they are. And, and, and in that same period and process in, in terms of preparation and in starting a new church and, and, and leading and helping that church grow up um, and focusing on this issue of loving relationships. John 13, 34, and 35, which is, our, which is our core passage for today, if you want to look it up. It's going to be on the screen as well. John 13, 34, and 35 became very, very central to everything that I wanted to be about. Very simply, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If I'm able to love the other, people will know that I'm a disciple of Jesus. And the thing that really stood out to me there is this issue of command. Let's look at the next slide. The, the Greek word for a, a new command in the, in the New Testament is entele. And entele really is simple. It's a mandate. It's an order. It's a command. Jesus is not saying to you, follower of Jesus, I suggest that you love other people. I think it's a good idea that you love other people. When it's convenient, ouch, love other people. A command I give you, love one another. It's a command. It's a command, not a suggestion. Discovery Church is committed to making disciples. Everybody who's part of Discovery say amen. We're committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the Great Commission. And you know, um, some of you here are part of Navigators. Some of you here are part of Disciples. Through 28, 18 to 20, maybe other campus groups. And the goal is, is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And at the very heart of it is this idea of disciple making. As you're going, uh, make disciples. How does that happen? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. Look, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to identify with Jesus. That's baptism. That's not today's message, but I'll get to it at some point. 
You identify with Jesus in baptism. You identify with who God is. You're saying, I'm no longer that old man, that old woman. I'm a new person. And my identity is going to key off of who Jesus is. Is everybody with me on that? And then, very simply, these first followers are said, say, now you're going to teach them to follow everything, every command. You're going to teach obedience. So it's followership, identity, and obedience. That's discipleship, amen? Now, ooh, Jesus says, obey all I've commanded. Now, here's where it gets a little challenging and interesting when you do your study of the New Testament, as some of you have done, or as you're entering into an idea of what the Christian faith is. This is at the very heart of it. So this command word, entole, is used 87 times in the New Testament. Are you ready to unpack this with me? It's used 87 times in the New Testament because if we don't get here, I don't think we can get to loving relationships. Loving relationships are not optional. Some of you plan your financial budget. You have fixed expenses, you have variable expenses. Your fixed expenses are, my goodness, I've got to pay my rent every month or I'm going to get kicked out. It has consequences, right? Variable expenses, how many times am I going to go to, to Starbucks or Pete's or another coffee shop? Variable. This is not a variable. This is central. 87 times in the New Testament. Now, let's break it down. So there's, first of all, this word is used as commands to, in specific situations for specific reasons in a specific time. And there's 15 of these. And this would be an example of uh, Jesus going to the Mount of Transfiguration. This amazing thing happens. If you've never read it in the Bible, it's fantastic where uh, uh, Jesus is all of a sudden there and he's experiencing this wonderful time and Elijah and Moses are there and uh, Peter and James and John are blown away and they're, they're going to they're gonna build houses and, and anyway. But it's this vision of glory. Everybody with me? They're going down the hill afterward. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone about what just happened until I rise. Now, if you read the original Greek, it's entele. I command you, don't say anything about this until after I rise again. So it's a very specific one-time-only command. Now, of the remaining 70-plus, um, half of them are commands or uses of the word entele related to the commandments in the Old Testament, the commandments of Moses. Now, Jesus was super clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Is everybody still tracking with me? Because this is super important. So when those, that word entele is used by Jesus, he's using it in a way where he's reaffirming the commandments of the Old Testament that are the way of life, they're the parameters, they're the bumper guards, they're the banks of the river that keep you moving in a healthy direction for life. Is everybody with me on that? So he reaffirms those. Jesus doesn't give those commands. Now, some might argue he did give those commands, right? Because they were from, from on high. But Jesus isn't breaking any new ground. Now we have... Half of those remaining, now we're down to about 35 times in the New Testament. And if you go into an entelay word study, which you're welcome to do as a follow-up from this week, 
you're going to find that it's all related to the new commandment or what Jesus says is my commandment or what Jesus says is love is the fulfillment of the law. It's this idea of loving. They're all tied together. So if Jesus in Matthew 28, let's go back to Matthew 28, is saying, teach them all I've commanded, what did Jesus command? Now, Jesus reaffirmed all those ones in the Old Testament. But the, the, the thing that ties the new covenant to now is the new commandment. And the new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, a friend of mine, Gordon Enns, has written a book about this. It's a great book. And part of his work in this regard is he actually said, what in the world happened? Why is this kind of lost in the church? He did a study of the apostolic fathers, the, father, the church fathers who came right after the first apostles. He examined 10,000 pages of their writings. It's very well preserved. It was broken down into 700 categories. And of those 700 categories, there were zero references or emphases on the new command that Jesus gave. So if the very heartbeat of the body of Christ is love, we have got to return to understand that Jesus was very intentional in John 13 and in the whole upper room discourse in the Gospel of John to say again and again and again, a new command I give to you. And yet you, like me, a few of you, confess I have a love problem. So how do we deal with this love problem in our own life in terms of how it impacts how we exist as a household? So if you're living with committed believers, a group of men or a group of women in an apartment, if you're married and you're bringing up children, what are you bringing them up into? What does that look like? Because that's a really fast heartbeat. I'm not that nervous, so I can go slower. Is love. It's love. So where do we start? It all starts with God's love, thankfully. <laughs> it all starts with God's love. Um, Love is not a feeling, it's, it's personal and volitional. So our, our word that we all know, you can say it with me, agape. Say it with me, agape. You say it out loud, agape. So when Jesus says, a new command I give you, entele, love, love, present imperative. Now, today, in this moment, even when you're at church today, hunt someone down and love them. And, it, and it's agape love. It's this idea of agape love, that this idea of unconditional goodwill, benevolence, delight. In ancient Greek, apart from the New Testament, it's talked about the love of a parent for a child. The love of, of exclusive, lifelong, monogamous couples. That's the only place it's used. And in the New Testament, it grabs hold of this word and says, that's what we understand when we, we, we take the Old Testament word for this and we bring it into New Testament Greek. We're going to use the word agape. Now, let's think about a few things. If you want to, you can turn to 1 John because um, we're going to go through a couple of verses in 1 John. John is the gospel of love. John is the, the, the 
uh, apostle that Jesus loved, it says, and somehow he was one who really w was able to latch on to this idea, though it's not exclusive to him, it's in the Synoptic Gospels as well, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right, Professor Jeff's out. Is everybody okay with this? All right, so in 1 John, we understand that God is love. If you're writing down notes or you're, you're putting them in the app, 1 John 4, verse 8, and verse 16, it says that God is love. Literally, theos agape. God is love. Love is not God. God is love. Love characterizes God. If there's any quality in the, in the Bible that talks about the nature of God, there's two things, holiness and love. Holiness is another, another message. We'll have to get to that later. But today, we're understanding that if God is love, he is the source of the love in our life. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Familiar to some of you? Some of you have memorized it. We love because he first loved us. When we talked about family on mission two weeks ago, you can go back on the app and listen to this message. We talked about that we have God as our father. And God as our father, his primary move toward us is love, where he's pouring his love into our life. He's showing us this agape, unconditional goodwill and benevolence. God is not mad. God is a God whose heart is for us. God is a God whose heart is for you. How do we know what love is? 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. We'll get to John 3.16 in a moment. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And when Jesus laid down his life for us, it was because the Father said there's no other way when he prayed in Gethsemane. That's why it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like giving. Love looks like a focus on the other. And the Father loves you in that way. Jesus who came as the perfect, the perfect human, the second Adam, to do what the first Adam did not do. Go back to our core scripture for today, John 13, 34. As I have loved you, love one another. This is going to be a challenge for some of you. And some of you just need to wake up right now in the name of Jesus. If your mind drifted away, you need to hear this. Jesus, if Jesus says, as I've loved you, love one another, how can you know how to love people if you don't know the life, the life of Jesus? If you don't know, backward and forward, forward and backward, top and down, down and up, the life of Jesus. There's only way to know, one way to know the life of Jesus. You read the life of Jesus, you listen to the, the gospels on the life of Jesus, you see some movie depictions of the life of Jesus that accurately portray some of what and how he engaged. But you just say, how, how can I know about love? I can know about love because I'm going to, to watch the moves of Jesus. I'm going to listen to the words of Jesus. I'm going to look at how he lived his life. And folks, being a Christian is to, to be in the way of Jesus and to let our life come into alignment with that. Now, good news, good news, good news because I'm the love problem confessional, right? Is Jesus just doesn't say, all right, you're saved. Get to it, Jeff. Work as hard as you can. 
And by the way, here's all these commands from the Old Testament that you need to fulfill in order to live a life that's not going to just mess you up and mess other people up. So work hard, remember hard, think hard, analyze, always be kind of OCD about whether I am or I'm not in the will of God. That is not it at all. It's a lot more simple than that. The Holy Spirit, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, bears fruit in my life. Because I know Christ, the Holy Spirit fills me. And when the Holy Spirit fills me, he fills me with his character, who God is. And what did we already learn, everybody? If the Holy Spirit's filling me with who God is, what's real for me, everybody? What do we know about God from just earlier in this message? God is love. So Holy Spirit's filling me, and it's not surprising that it says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Several times in the book of Romans, as Paul unfolds his incredible theological um, argument and understanding of what all God did for us in Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it very simply says this, that not only were we justified by faith, but that then we have peace with God because of that. God fills our life. And the end result is, it says in verse 5, that we're not disappointed. We don't live a disappointing life. We don't live a, I wonder if they have it better than, than me, life. We, we don't have to live disappointed. Why? Because it says this very important word. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the first signs of you really knowing God, not knowing about God, not knowing about Jesus, but really knowing him, is that gripping realization that God knows everything about you and loves you. God knows all your fears, your anxieties, your limitations, your sins, your successes, and he loves you. Isn't that good news? He loves you. It all starts with God's love. And receiving well lets us begin relating well. For those of you who are fill-in-the-blank folks, I want to make sure that's up there. God, we understand in Scripture and by our confession of faith as Discovery Church, lives as the three-personal God. God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons forevermore. Amen. In that relationship of who God is, God says, in essence, the experience of what happens and who God is is then shared with who we are as his created image bearers in the world. And what Christ did for us means that you are caught up into this love relationship, this love affair that God has with who he's created to bear his image in the world. That's why it's so important. If you weren't here last week, get on the app, listen to them, what happened last weekend about worship and what we do and why corporate worship's important, why the rhythm of gathering together as God's people is important because we are here 
first and foremost, to experience his love supernaturally as the Holy Spirit fills us again with the reminder of his love, and then to be touched by the people who are here gathered to experience that love together. So I want to offer to you a simple application today, and even as we respond in worship shortly um, in, our, in our response at the Lord's table, a very simple prayer that's helped me with my love problem is this. I receive your love for me today. If I wake up in the morning, I'm laying there in bed. My feet hit the floor, or I stagger toward the coffee maker. If I can remember to pray that prayer, I receive your love for me today. Say that out loud with me. I receive your love for me today. Hebrew prayer, meaning God's people, all the way back to Abraham, prayer was with words that came out of your mouth with vocalization, not just thinking or meditating, both of which are good, but it's actually acknowledging a truth, declaring a truth. Father, I receive your love for me today. And when you receive that love, then you can begin to love others. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Love in relationship. We were created to love God and each other. Now, the miracle is God redeems us into love, and then we get to enjoy that love relationship with God. So that when Jesus commanded in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can actually do it. Because we were created to love God and each other. We were created to love God and each other. That's our, our primary mission is, do we, do we love God, right? Now, if, if I did a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, and I said, how many of you believe that God loves you? And how many of you believe that we're called to love God? Is this okay to talk about in church? Because, again, maybe I'm just working through my love problem publicly here with all of you. <laughs> But I think it's really, it really determines what kind of Christians we are. And, and what, I, what I realized, even this week, even with a, a beloved person within my, my family system, is there can be a lot of acknowledgement or a lot of knowledge about God, about something I read or something somebody told me or a pastor talked about once. And I can agree with the truth. That's a huge step forward. It's a truth encounter. You go, I agree with that. That's true. And all other things are false. It's false that God doesn't love me. It's false that God isn't present, that God isn't real, that God doesn't fill me. Those are false. And I'm going to be in alignment with the truth. Is everybody with me on this? But there's a difference between that and letting your heart go so that, that an allegiance forms between you and God. We are in a time and in a world with profoundly competing allegiances that say that we need to be in this camp or on this team or with this group, that ultimately we have to have our, our, our tie, our, our who we're really all about tied to our nationality or our race or our language or our sexuality. I'm, I'm trying to push all the buttons. Have I hit them all yet? It's a, it's a time where, where you're being challenged to say, 
say, when a real push comes to shove, I'm standing with this group and this group alone. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to say, God, I'm going to stand with those you love. Uh-oh, this is getting us in crazy territory, right? Because God is crazy about everybody. And Jesus, Jesus asked us to do some crazy things, like love our enemies, or to love our neighbors, the loud neighbors, or the ones whose pot smoke's coming through the vent into my apartment. Man. But we've got to learn to be, we've got to learn to love God and, and love others in this way. And I'm going to give you a really practical thing. This is like a little pop psychology thing. I'm a psychology teacher out at Jessup, so I got to throw this in every once in a while. But my goodness, it's transformed people's lives, honestly. Put this up. So this is just the love languages idea. A bunch of you know this already. Gary Chapman's made a bunch of money because he had a good idea, and then he's produced 11 different books on it and a course. You know, love languages for your pet. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like, you know, how can we leverage this for the most money? Um, but these are the love languages, words of affirmation, gift giving, physical touch, quality time, acts of service. You can go on and look at Gary Chapman love languages if you've never seen it before. But it, the very simple idea of it is this, that we give and receive love in different ways. We experience love in different ways. And it will actually unlock for you personally, for your family, and for this church amazing things if you recognize the fact that I can learn to give love to someone else in the way they best receive it. Now, I don't even know if this is really an exhaustive list. There may be other ways people experience love. But what is the key that turns your heart and opens you to love? Now, the, 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 the interesting thing psychologically on this is that if I receive love in a certain way, like for me, words of affirmation. Heather yesterday, she, she teased me uh, in a good way by saying, hey, did you read that email I sent you? With a big smile on her face. I'm like, no, I didn't see it. She goes, well, well you should read it because it's really important. Right? I'm a words guy, so I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be good. This is something affirming and life-giving and encouraging. And in fact, it was. It was totally awesome. But she knows me. She knows that's going to fuel. I'm going to go, I feel loved by my wife. Now, interestingly, I want you to look at this list and talk about first what we're talking about is, if we're created to love God, can we love God in all these ways? Now, God is God, so God will receive love all, all of these ways. <laughs> right? God's not as complicated as people. Um, God can receive love any of these ways, with our words, with our gift giving, with uh, touch. How do we touch God? How does that experience? How are we physically touching or, or engaging with God? Maybe Jesus gave us baptism and he gave us a table because he realized some of us are tactile kinesthetic and we're going to engage with God through these experiences in terms of learning to love. And when God sees us take that in a reverent way and we're, our, we're realigned to him or when we kneel in prayer or when we lift our hands in worship, that, that this touches God. Quality time. A little time in the morning with God, a little retreat with God, 
or acts of service, doing things in the name of Jesus that look like Jesus. Can you see applying this to God? Have you ever done this before? It's huge. Then you can just flip it over and say, this also relates to how I love people because, again, coming back to our core verse for today, John 12, 32, love each other as I have loved you. We want to be able to express love in that way to others. The other thing that I would commend for you to do, let's go to the next slide, see if I've actually made a slide for it. Oh, I didn't. You can flip through those. This is when I had a bunch of time earlier, and I was going to go through each of them. We don't have that. So enjoy all those slides flipping by. Yeah, and the next one. Um, just leave it there for a minute. Is uh, The other thing that you can write down maybe as an idea is do a study of 1 Corinthians 13. Because when Paul's talking about the love there, he's talking about agape. And so if you want to know what love looks like, um, <laughs> extending love to the limits really is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the, the power and the centrality of love and how it's applied. And the fundamental question, so you had a fundamental prayer to kick off, of, of, Father, I receive your love today. The fundamental question is, do my words or does my behavior look like Jesus? If we're to say we're going to love like Jesus, if, we're, if a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, love one another, do, do, are the words that um, move out from me on a consistent basis, we all trip up, um, are, the, are the actions that I'm participating in, the commitments that I'm making, do they, do they look like Jesus? Because ultimately, it's going to extend love to our limits because as we love God, as we begin with applying that love in our household, then God says to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, and next week, we're going to be talking about need-oriented evangelism and how we, we meet needs and show the love of Jesus to people. So make sure you're back next week. Um, but also, um, he says to love our enemies. Um, I want to offer something to you because some of you have real, real uh, brokenness and animosity with somebody uh, in your workplace or in your household, in your extended family, um, in your history, and, and maybe even in the church, because ultimately we have to bring it back here. It's too hard to solve the world's problems, but if we can solve some of ours, maybe the world can be a better place, amen? And so what is that brokenness in relationship, maybe even within the church or within your household? And what I want to offer to you is this. This was just a breakthrough discovery for me. Why? Because I had a youth pastor who gathered some people um, and kind of said, we think we can do church better than you, and created this little rebellion in this church that I was pastoring. It was hurtful, so hurtful. Um, but, you know, what I learned at that time is you can't pray for someone and hate them at the same time. So if you're struggling with hate, uh, if you're struggling with, with anger, and it might even be righteous anger, um, begin praying for that person with, by name. Begin to pray for that couple by name. And, and God will begin to allow you. You say, how can we love our enemies? Well, we can love our enemies because of the love of God in our heart. And the fact that, that God... When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
How does God demonstrate his love for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, while that person is still being a, a jerk, while, while she's still being a gossip, I want to love her. That's going to shift things. Then you get in this conspiracy of love, and it starts getting pretty fun. But why are we struggling so much in terms of problems and stuff? Let's wrap up here. Why we struggle? I, I want to just give you this verse. Let's go to the next slide. Is Matthew 24, 12, and 13. Again, guess what words here when, when it's talking about love? Everybody say it out loud with me. Agape. You can try again. Agape. Because, hey, you've got agape, philos, eros, storge. The Greeks knew how to love. They had a lot of words for it. Right? But we're talking about agape today. And here it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love, the agape of most will grow cold. Who has agape in this world, church? Who has agape in this world? We do. Say it with me. We do. Who has agape in this world? I don't think many of you are convinced. Some people's arms are crossed. They're like, this guy's just making me uncomfortable. Who has agape in this world? Right, so when it's talking about the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, it's saying, you know what's, you know, what one of the greatest tragedies or difficulties or challenges of, quote, end times is that the church isn't loving. When people come, they don't experience love, and when the church goes, they don't experience love. Why? Because of the increase of wickedness. It's a tough world. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of reasons to like feel the love drain out of you and not want to love, but want to hate, want to be angry, want to shake your fist, want to give up, want to hide, want to lock the doors. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stands firm in what? The new command. The one command, my command. Love one another, right? If, if love is getting swept out of our society, the one place the agape love can be is in the confessing people of Jesus. Next, next slide. Because we need just some time for some real love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Friends, neighbors, enemies, right? But, but for Discovery Church, bringing it down, right? If you're brand new here for the first day, we want to be a, a church that's a family on mission. We want to be a church that's a worshiping church pushing into the presence of God. And we are a church that wants to be known for loving relationships. And as we come to the table, the, the band's going to come back up and lead us in some worship singing. And we're going to, um, to be at the Lord's table together. And when we're at the Lord's table together, I want you to, to pray that simple prayer. Lord, I receive your love for me today. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for me, for us. We experience that at the table. And as you come to this table, if you need prayer, we'll have some prayer uh, partners that'll be over here on this side of the room. And you can be engaged 
um, in prayer with them, to be able to pray maybe for that person in your life where you're saying, it's hard for me to love that person, but I want to love them. I want to forgive them. I want to release them. We'll worship together for another 10 minutes or so, just being God's people and letting his love fill us. So let's pray together, and the team will come up and lead us. Jesus, thank you so much that your word speaks life to us. Thank you, Father, for being the God who is, uh, it says clearly in Scripture, is love, and that you'll pour your love out. And so we pray that through Jesus, uh, your presence with the Father and your spirit poured out, God, that you would be operation, operational and activated in our presence, Lord, as we respond to you, as we sing to you. God, I'm Jeff Kreiser. I have a love problem. Um, I pray that you would make me a better lover today of you and of my family and of my neighbor and, and of my enemy, God, so that, that people would know that I'm your disciple. And here I stand with the, the Discovery Church family so, so the world would know, that Davis would know, and the surrounding communities would know that we're your disciples in Jesus, that that you came to bring this new reality to us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. As Jeff mentioned, this is our time of response. It's a time that we...